0: Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America Prospect Handbook Podcast. Josh Norris, Ben Battler, J.J. Cooper here with you today. And we're talking Top 50. It's the mid-season Top 50 Prospects Update. One of the uh, more fun and more taxing jobs that we do during the season. You know, Ben, you you have one of the most taxing jobs we do in the season because we had July 2, which we'll deal with July 2 in a, a separate podcast. But we wanted to go over a little bit of kind of the top end of the top 50 but also then some of the guys who rose up some of the guys who are falling some of the guys who were really excited about some guys who we have some concerns about before we do that though we do want to remind you as always it's a great time to subscribe to baseball america baseballamerica.com slash store and if you subscribe right now it's a great time to subscribe because coming very soon for subscribers only we'll have our updated top tens for all 30 teams at the midpoint of the season so Plenty of uh, analysis, plenty of uh, uh, of of adjustments in the rankings. There've been a lot of guys who moved up, a lot of guys who moved down. We'll explain all that to you if you're a Baseball America subscriber. But so that's coming. The rest of the week, we're all working very busily on that right now. But right now, we're talking top fifty, and at the very top of this list, it was it felt like a a, a reasonably easy selection, partly because really. Corey Seager's kind of been left out there on his own. Everyone who was kind of his contemporaries coming into the season, they're all in the big leagues now. Uh Everyone else who was kind of those top 10 pretty close to big league ready hitting prospects, they've all reached the big leagues and and Seager's still waiting. But was there any doubt? Uh, I'll start with you, Ben. Was there any doubt that that Seager, number one, would you make an argument for anyone else or was it pretty clear to you?
1: No, I, I definitely like Seager as, as the number one guy. It's, it you know we always try to look at all right, well what could go wrong with uh, with a prospect on, on this list or, or any prospects in general, and you know whether it's you know if, if Carlos Correa was still in the minors, uh, <laughs> I, I, I think there's almost nothing wrong with him. There's, there's very few holes uh, in his game. Corey Seeger is, is the same way, uh, a different type of player. Uh, you know maybe the biggest knock against him is there's just less chance that he could play shortstop. Uh, but if he if he ends up sliding over to third base, all the tools are there for him to be an above average defender at third base. Uh, he's got a strong arm. He's uh, you know the the range that he would have at third base would be above average. Uh, and then we haven't even talked about his offensive game yet because there's I don't think there's any question about his offensive game. This is a guy who has one of the prettiest swings in the minor leagues. He's hit everywhere he's gone. He's got a good approach. He uses the whole field. He makes a lot of contact. Uh, and he's got power too, and that that power is really starting to come out this year. And I, and I think there's a lot more in there. Uh, you know, the the Dodgers have a good lineup, so I, you know I, I'm calling him a future middle of the lineup masher. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be there uh, at some point this year or, or next year, but you know, this is a guy who should be a, a franchise player who could be, you know, a, a potential MVP kind of guy for them.
0: It, the the thing that jumps out when you say that this year or next year, I it. That's a great lineup. That's a deep lineup. The other thing that jumps out when you get to September, at least, when you get to August 30th, 30, you know, right when you get to thinking about your playoff roster, it is hard for me to envision a playoff roster for the Dodgers that in which he doesn't at least help them off the bench. But then I could say also, we, we, you know, we, we're not even really going to talk about Hector Oliveira that much, who's also on this list. And Hector Oliveira is a big league ready second baseman who I, I don't know where you find a way to put him on their current lineup, you know, current roster. So this is actually a legitimate problem for the for the Dodgers.
1: Yeah, and I, I would bring up Oliveira. I mean, obviously he's got to get healthy, but I would bring up Oliveira before before Seager. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we, you know, if we it, it would still end up taking another year for us to uh, to see Seager. Depending on what uh, you know, how Jimmy Rollins uh, continues to play, I, I think that could be uh, an option for them this year, but. Yeah, At some point in the very near future, this guy is going to be a 300 hitter and a potential 25-plus home run guy for them very soon. Not a
0: bad combo. So Josh, Bear, Lucas Giolito number two. Any thought to you of Lucas Giolito number one or two? Was there a pretty clear difference between one and two to you?
2: No, I, I wouldn't give him any thought as number one at all. And if you saw my personal 150, I didn't have him as the number one pitcher either. So, that so was pretty clear for you then. <laughs> So, certainly, I wouldn't have him as number one prospect. I had, I had another number two pitcher. I had him and Julio Urias number four on our list, number three before Gallo came back. Uh, flopped because I liked, I, I didn't. Like everybody else, I'm stunned by what Urias has been able to do at just 18 years old. He carved the California League. He was carving the Texas League, and he's a. I think he's a guy who's got three pitches, potentially plus, and he's a left hander. So I mean, what what there's what's there not to like? He's a little smaller.
0: Right. I, I was gonna say that I think the reason Giolito ends up ranking ahead of him, Giolito does it in a more it's I more guess it's it's a little more traditional. You you're talking about the six foot six guy who has the at least seventy, maybe you want to throw it, you know, some scouts will give it an eighty fastball. Um, and then you got a breaking ball that again you hear you will hear often thrown out sixty five, seventy with the breaking ball. As good as Urius is Urius has a better, I would say right now, probably a better three pitch mix and a little bit better feel. He's Ureus is just very hard to there are no comparisons for Julio Urias. There really aren't. Because there's just not guys who are that advanced at that age. That really shouldn't be a knock for him. I mean, so
2: we're not going to a guy for breaking yeah. the mold. I mean,
0: come you on. Know.
2: I mean, we're going to get to another guy on this list who kind of breaks the mold a little bit too. Number 14 here, Judge.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'd say though he doesn't break the mold. He's just unusual. Well, he'll
2: break it if he wants. He's a big boy. You know, I mean, but, like,
0: uh. 6'7", 270? I mean, who that, else? There's been few, but there are very few. It is very few. Um, but uh, but no, I, I do think you know it was a pretty clear delineation. Of the top two pitchers before you know compared to anyone else on the list. Um, I, I feel like that our top six: Corey Seager, Lucas Giolito, Joey Gallo, Julio Urias, J.P. Crawford, Kyle Schwarber. That top six, I, I feel like after Schwarber, myself, there's a little bit of a, a, a gap between that and say Tyler Glasnow, Orlando Arcia, Trey Turner, Alex Reyes. And that's partly because I mean you are talking at the top of that list, with the exception of Giolito, everyone else on that are guys who are either in Gallo and and Schwarber's case have touched the majors, or the other cases really are are quite close to the majors. I feel like Glass a little further away. Arcia does fit that, and Turner fits that as far as being pretty close. Reyes is also a little further away.
1: Yeah, we don't we don't usually see that. I feel like usually when we come out with our top 100 list, you you go to about the top top 20 25 guys and those are all you know premium guys there's there's not much disagreement about who you know, we might disagree about what the order, the should order be the order right but which guys we need to pick to put in that top 20 25 it's not that hard that's that's like the easy part of our job but right now when there's so many guys who 32 are
0: 32 of the top 100 from the preseason are already in the, are not eligible for this list
1: there's all right there's so many guys up right now so so what you see as a guy at you know, number number twelve or, or number thirteen on this list. Uh, it's not it's not directly comparable to what you would see on our our top one hundred as a guy would be ranked in that same. Spot. You're right,
0: because you got to remember, it's worth a little preamble here. This is our mid season list. Guys who are in the big leagues are not eligible, rather whether they've exhausted their prospect eligibility or not. And at the same time, two thousand fifteen draftees, they will we will add them in the postseason in the off season. So. This is always our the most volatile and our thinnest of our you know of our overall top prospect ranking list because it is you are talking about it it has the smallest pool to pull from. Um but with that uh, you know uh, it does jump out. I, I'm gonna get back to Orlando Arcia to, to Ben at number at number eight on this list, but but Josh, it, it does stand out. The shortstop still stand out. It's been the year of the shortstop. We've seen Addison Russell, we've seen Carlos Correa, we've seen Francisco Lindor all reach the big leagues. Even with that, three of the top ten on this list are shortstops. Trey Turner is one of those guys who has moved very quickly. At this time last year, he had just, I mean, just finished up at NC State and was, you know, being drafted. And here we are looking at him. He's
2: already been traded.
0: He's already been traded. And he's already very AAA. close to the big leagues in AAA. His first triple last night. You know, but what what stands out? And I know you know you've seen Turner a lot over the years. You've talked to a number number of people about Turner. What jumps out about him to you, and and kind of what earns him a spot in this top ten? I
2: mean, the combination of a potential eighty runner with speed. Speed, I already said that. With defense and offense, I mean he's he's hit for for power this year too. It's not a it's a rare breed that you're going to get those kind of tools from one guy. And you can play a true shortstop.
0: It's been been interesting because I do feel like that he is a guy who has done a good job of improving his stock over the past year. Uh, If you compare where he was coming into the draft, I think there's a little less questions about his hit tool than there was coming into the draft. I think he's done a, a good job of kind of taking some of the the concerns about him and, and kind of fixing those a little bit. But I want to go back to our number eight prospect, Ben. I know you've always been a, a fan of Orlando Arcia, and he's made a big jump here. He was in our preseason top 100, but he wasn't anywhere close to number eight in that list. He was in the 90s. So what what jumps out to you about Arcia?
1: Yeah, I just remember, remember when he signed. The Brewers signed him, and uh, I think they only gave him like $70,000 something like that. But right away, they knew that this guy had... You know, this guy could hit. He could field. You know, he just couldn't run. He wasn't very big. And since then, his, his all of his tools have gotten better. I mean, he's he's an above-average runner now. He's, he's playing an, an above-average uh, defense at shortstop. And he's always had really good hand-eye coordination and, and a pretty good approach at the plate too. You know, you're not going to get big, big power out of him the way you're going to get with a guy like uh, like a Carlos Correa, somebody like that. But, um, yeah, like you know, you're not going to get that kind of middle-of-the-order type power, but this is a, a potential leadoff hitter who can play above-average defense at shortstop and and run the bases really well, too. It's a... Uh, other than power, which, I mean, it's, it's not like he's a... You know, a spray slap hitter. He, I,
0: he, I think of him. as, I mean, you go on our comparisons. Lindor, Lindor is the other one. You know, coming into the season, he was a top ten guy who didn't have power and everything else. I that's.
1: Think, I mean, I, I don't think he's quite as good as Lindor, but I always thought the spread, the, like the perceived spread in the and the gap between those two guys was was wider than it should be. I think the, what, what RC has done this year with his performance at Double A has made a lot of people realize: all right, it, it really isn't that big of a gap. This guy can. He can hit. He can get on base. He plays good defense. Everything this guy does is, is really, really
0: good. No, it, it does stand out. And again, I mean, that's the Brewers have not had a whole lot of guys sitting in top tens of our prospect list in, in recent years. That's been a, a very positive emergence for them in mean, what's well, been a pretty rough year at the, at the big league level. Then we go to Alex Reyes is number 10. Alex Reyes is the high ceiling, still high risk. There's still control, command has to improve. But you are talking about he's also right now on the DL with what is thought to be you always worry when you hear this but thought to be a pretty minor shoulder injury. The oxymoron, yeah. minor <laughs> shoulder. You know, yeah. it it can be though. There are times where it's like they're out for a couple of weeks and everything's fine. You 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 do hold your breath on that though until they're back and throwing and everything and showing the same velo. But Alex Reyes pre this injury, which happened relatively recently. You are talking about when we talk about Giolito, you are talking about a very similar kind of fastball curveball combo that is exceptional. That gets us though then to number 11, Yoan Mankata, who was the toughest guy to rank, I would say probably in the top 20 here. Um, namely because, and I'll start with you, Josh, and then we'll go to Ben, but namely because you if you talk to Pro Scouts who've seen him this year, Many will give you, and we heard this, I mean, how we put this together, we talked to, you know, at least 25 different pro scouting, pro, you know, front office officials and got their feedback and all. And you could talk to a lot of pro scouts who saw, who've seen you on Mancata this year, who are like, you're ranking that guy? Now, on the contrast to that, we also do know where he was seen by everyone coming into the season. And we also have how much do you account for the fact that you are talking about eighteen months effectively of rust because he has with the exception of some showcases and some workouts he really hasn't faced game competition for for quite a while. How difficult to you I mean you again you've you know you've seen him you've talked to scouts who've seen him he he's a puzzling dude right now is he not?
2: He is really puzzling I mean just coming in from. Personally, watching him in BP and take infield, you get guys who you can see why you really like him. You can see him with tons of power and tons of hit ability from either side of the plate. But it just does not show up there in games. If you watch him against even average breaking stuff, he's swinging through it like he's never seen a breaking ball before, and that's a problem in Loa. Uh, I've got scouts saying you know he's stiff in the field. He's sometimes a little lackadaisical. There are makeup questions. Uh, but there are some on the other side who think he's a Roll 7 player. And that's what you know you paid the $63 million for. It, you know, it, the numbers aren't there right now in low A. Um, it, for people who thought he was going to zoom through the minor league and do the majors very quickly, you're wrong. <laughs> he's got a lot of potential, but there's, but it's not a sure thing.
1: Yeah, there's a a few things. One, I mean, we ranked him 11, but like we were talking about, that actually means his stock is a little bit down. Down, right, because he was –
0: effectively, you can – even at spot 11 on this, when you look at how many of our top 20 prospects have graduated – Yes, you him going at eleven means he's effectively moved down a little bit from our preseason rankings. But
1: and I, and like you said, the the eighteen month layoff. It's not like he wasn't playing any baseball at all, but he wasn't playing in any. He wasn't playing competitive games. baseball. He wasn't. Say, if Scots are saying, "Oh, well, he's," you know, he can't recognize a breaking ball. Well, he hasn't really had to had to see any breaking balls for the most part, other than if, if he's going to a, a private workout for a team. And they happen to have a guy there who throws a breaking ball. And frankly, the breaking ball probably isn't going to be very good anyway that they're throwing because they're probably just going to bring in a, a released guy who can throw, you know, 90-92 or something. Just and to he's see consistently some, around the plate. That's... Yeah, just to get him to see some velocity, see how he handles that. Uh, you know, this is not some guy who is just a, a raw workout warrior. Every time he's played in Cuba... At a, at an international tournament or in Cuba's junior national leagues, granted, the competition, uh, w- within the Cuban junior national leagues is not great, but he dominated those leagues. I mean, this is not a guy that scouts like just because of his tools. This is a guy they like because of his tools, his athleticism, and his consistent, dominant game performance. He was always the best hitter in games on the Cuban junior national team every time he played with them. Uh, so I, I do think that there is a lot of rust going on here. Uh, I mean, he's just, th- th- this guy has a lot going on. Uh, he has a lot on his plate. Now, if he's doing this and it's August and his numbers are still here, yeah, then we've, <laughs> that's, that's, that's definitely, you an issue. See that's, some that's of, more alarming.
0: That, that's one of the things when I talk to, you know, talking to scouts right now who have, uh, who've gotten to see a guy a couple of times in a league, one of the things that jumps out, one of the things they're looking for is, okay, especially midwest league guys got chewed up a lot of the top high school guys from last year's draft got chewed up and spit out this year not many of them have actually performed but one of the things one of the questions you're looking for is is are they making adjustments are they better now than they were in april and may that's what we got to see with know on it's, it's something where you're really hoping to see okay when we look at him in august you say The rust is, he's starting to shake off the rust and he's starting to show that, okay, we're seeing those tools more regularly. We're seeing more consistent at bats. And that's kind of the thing we've got to see. And
2: he started over the last couple days, he started doubling a little more, hitting a little more hits. And I almost wonder if it's a product of not necessarily having five guys for four spots like they did in Greenville for a while. Dubon got, Mauricio Dubon got promoted to uh, Salem. Salem. And now you can play uh moncada every day at second base where Gara gets every day at third base at shortstop and you only have to alternate and Devers over at third you don't have to have those three guys in the middle infield so you can focus on moncada every day
0: that might help that you know there are those are kind of things at the same time that's one of those also like if he's playing every day then it may be you know he's yeah, getting it's, worn it's, down you know but but it's a good point to make guy with 18 months right.
1: layoff I don't think he's You've worn down already yeah and like you talked about with, you know we hear every year about how it, it is a tra- big transition for high school players in their first full season as, you know moncada's not in the midwest league that's another conflating factor when you bring a you know a guy from uh you know from san Diego up to the midwest league in April and all of a sudden he's you know completely frozen <laughs> and trying to hit for the first time in cold weather in his life uh but it, but it is a transition you do want to give high school hitters a a bit of a mulligan if they struggle in, in the first half, and that's that's for a, a player who's you know a teenager going from from high school to his first full season in the same country. I mean, you got to think about Moncada is coming from not just a foreign country, but a very very different foreign country in Cuba, uh, and coming to the United States and and playing professional baseball for the first time. I think that's a bigger transition for him than than even what we're seeing from. Uh, high school hitters coming over and, and playing in their first full season in, in pro ball.
2: And then I, I guess can we shift here? We can yeah, the segue here just does that not make it all the more impressive what Raphael Devers is doing at at Greenville well, at the same level? He's what, a year younger. He's a year younger than uh, than Moncada, I believe, and he's raking. And his scouts are almost un- uniformly praising how excellent he's been this year. Yeah,
1: his bat is is just terrific. I mean. He was the best pure hitter the year he signed out of the Dominican Republic and, and the entire international class. It was him and Eloy Jimenez and, and Glaber Torres also signed that year. But everybody was just raving about Devers' is bad, And, you know, he had the average raw power at that time. You could see it's just, he was just going to be a big, big guy, and the power was going to come. And, Josh, you, I mean, you've seen him take BP this year. It sounds like the power is, is plus. It's a potential plus bat with plus power. Uh, you know, I don't know whether he stays at third base or goes to first base. I don't think it really matters because this guy's offense—you know—between the ability to hit and hit for power and and the approaches—is is there and it's 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 getting you know just better every day. Uh, I just I, the, the guy this guy's bat is unbelievable.
2: No, there was one at bat recently in Greensboro where you could just see him playing cat and mouse with the pitcher. Just okay, you're gonna tell me a breaking ball. I'll flip it this way. I'm gonna wait for you to get me a fastball on the inside half. And when he did, he deposited it over the foul pole. Pinch hit game tying home run, good night. And that's an 18 year old mm-hmm. just eating these pitchers alive. The only thing that's weird is seeing that he has only three home runs while
0: Javi Garrett has eight, which is, I thought it was a little uh, weird. I wouldn't say, I don't <laughs> think that's going to continue long term. No,
2: <laughs> it's just a little, you look at the numbers and you, alright, something's weird here, but he was losing balls in Asheville, which not that hard to do, but the spots he, were lo- he was losing them to were, were
0: impressive. <laughs> But uh, moving a little further down the list, Brett Phillips, another one of the big risers on this, the Astros center fielder. Phillips kind of had a breakthrough season last year and then he's added to it this year. Uh, a true, uh, has a chance to be a true center fielder and to do that with, again, he's hitting Lancaster this year. Yes, Lancaster is a great place to hit. But there's some actual, I mean, there's some significant hitting ability and he's showing some, some power potential as well. It, it's a pretty well rounded package. Mm-hmm. It's the problem we talk about the Dodgers. The good problem that the uh, the Astros are going to have. They're running out of spots for all these uh, position players for all these prospects, and that's a a, a very good problem to have because Phillips may not be that far away. He's not a 2015 ETA, but he could be a 2016 ETA.
1: Yeah, it's a, like you said, it's a really well rounded package of skills. It's 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 Lancaster. Obviously, there's going to be skepticism, but I don't think by any means that this guy is just a Lancaster fluke. I think it's, if you look at all the, the tools and the track record of hitting there, uh, you know, he's athletic, he plays center field, he plays it well, he throws well, uh, he hits, he's got a good approach, and, and there's power coming too. It's, I mean, he's not the same kind of player as, as Orlando Arcia, but it's, it's it's the same kind of thing you look forward. A a good athlete who can play in the middle of the field, give you good defense at a premium position, and a guy who can, and, can hit and, and pretty good, put a pretty good charge on the ball too. There's there's not many holes in this guy's game. I it's I, I really like him. I, I really think he's I, I like the aggressive ranking that we that we did with him on this list.
2: And not a bad problem to have, especially when you're the Astros and you are surprised contending. You got another you know, you might have too many options between spots, but now you've got chips. You are they have chips. plenty.
0: Of, they they have right? plenty of
1: trade chips. He would absolutely be a guy if if I'm trading with the Astros, that would be one of my
0: primary targets. I think yes, yes. Yeah. And, and again, if you're the Astros, you could absolutely consider giving him up because you look at it and say, okay, well, we've got, you know, between a, a, a very full outfield right now. And then a, again, you also, it's always an advantage when you've got a shortstop who could be a three hole hitter. <laughs> that opens up all kinds of options because you've just, you, you, again, it's a, it's a, it's a great problem. It's a great situation if you're the Astros and have Carlos Correa in the middle of your lineup for a long, long, long time. You
2: can flip Brett Phillips, and it's not going to even hurt. I mean, right. You can go, okay, go get Scott Kazimer. You can go get Cole Hamels. You can go get Johnny Cueto. You can go get anything with what they've got in their system right now.
0: It, it would seem like they would be one of the teams that have, uh, again, yeah, plenty of, of options as far as trade chips. Now, moving a little further down, another another big rise, two big rosters from the Cubs system Glaber Torres moves up to 28. Billy McKinney moves up to 30 uh, on this list. And both of them are, again, they fit very much the Cubs model, advanced bats. But with Glaber's case, Glaber Torres, we talk about the Midwest League has been nightmarish for a whole lot of reasonably well regarded hitters this year. Glaber Torres is one who's handled that league, the uh, jump to that league, with no problem at all. He's really been uh, one of the better hitters in the league all year. Uh, again, long-term, there are questions about him at shortstop, but as you kind of have put it with Devers, it's not that much of a problem because the guy can really, really hit. Um, Billy McKinney, he's a cornerback who you want to see maybe a little bit more power, but when it comes to the pure hitting ability, he's a, a, an, an excellent hitter and really kind of, it kind of very quickly earned his way from from high class A Myrtle Beach and made the jump to Double A and, and kind of really stepped in to kind of start doing what Schwarber was doing before Schwarber moved up. He's not Schwarber's class of the prospect, but he is uh, you know definitely interesting. But I wanted to jump a little further down. We go two other guys who jump out. We talked about the Astros and trade chips. Mark Appel is still right? we've been talking about Mark Appel for a very long time. And he's still a very puzzling prospect. He's 39 on this list, and the the thing that jumps out with Appel is is that the scouting report is still. When you look at the if you break him down pitch by pitch, it's some of the better stuff on this list. But it's always been hard to for him to put that all together. You know, Josh, what do you make of 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 kind of where we put Appel on this list, and and kind of where he stands as we sit here, and and really your Three slash four of, of talking about uh, the development of Capel?
2: You know, I, I, a guy like Capel <clears throat> reminds me, or makes me think of something that the, a manager I used to cover would say. It's talk about a guy. and a lot of guys out there who have the arsenals to pitch in the big leagues, but it's a lot more than that. You have to be able to put that arsenal consider, uh, together consistently. You have to be able to do it in the right parts of the strike zone. You have to do it con- and on a regular basis too. And that's just not what he's done. He's he get he had one of the worst years you can have in the California League last year, and yes. it's you know he's had t- spurts of greatness and spurts of disaster,
0: and he, he's know. been a little more consistent lately. But it, it does seem like uh, again this year he he has trouble. When he's pitching from the stretch, and he just has outings where he doesn't have it. It's been a little you know he did he did get the promotion to AAA, but uh, Ben, where do you you know kind of uh, what's your thoughts on Marquapel as we? He's, he's gotten the AAA. He still throws 96, 97. He's still got a really good slider. But Yeah,
1: I think once you get to this point on the list, you get a lot of guys who you get a lot more divisiveness, yes. especially internally here, whether it's uh, Mark Capel or, or anybody really who's ranked, uh, you know, even from 30 on, I would say. Um, you, you get, you to, get you
0: know, safe and not that exciting, or exciting and not that safe. Yeah, really. Mark
2: Capel right next to Brian Johnson.
1: Yeah, I mean, but Mark Capel, like you said, if it's all clicking, yeah, he does look like a, a potential front-of-the-rotation starter, but there's there's a lot of risk there, and the recent track record, it's not like, okay, he he had a bad month, or he's off to a bad start this season, it's all right. This has been going on for for quite a while. This is not a high school arm, either. This is a guy who's uh, you know, a college pitcher, a four, yeah, year. four year exactly, a four year college pitcher. And you know, look, he's still young. I'm, we're not saying there's. I'm not saying there's no room for him to continue growing. But uh, but there's a lot. I think there's a lot of risk here uh, with with Mark Appel. That uh, that's that's a little scary to me.
0: Uh, the best way to put it is, is that, as you said, I mean, it's not, we're, we're not talking about it this year. He's had problems. We're talking about over his career. Now, again, there's a stretch in Lancaster in there, but for his career, Mark Appel, 11 and ten, five five nine 559 ERA, 193 innings, 229 hits, 60 walks, 167 Ks. That's, uh, 2.79 walks per nine and 7.77 strikeouts per nine to go with a 1.5 whip. I mean, he
1: is—he's—he's he's around the strike zone. I just don't see him. He's not
0: dominating. He's—he's he's never really shown dominant bat, missing stuff. And hey, you know, we'll to bring it in. You know, John Gray, who ranks thirty fifth on this list. We had some of these same debates about him because John Gray, same draft class, <laughs> Chris Bryant, um, winner of the top three of that draft class. I, I think I, I running away with it, but uh, but John Gray has had stretch, has had moments, but. He has not been as dominant as you would expect, considering, again, the pedigree he had coming in. Because the thing that jumps out is, is we can make excuses, but I did a study on this a couple of years ago. The thing that jumps out is, is the great college pitchers who get drafted out of college, it usually clicks, and they go, they're they gone fast. I mean, Mark Appel has spent a whole lot longer in the minors now than Chris Sale ever did. Mark Appel and John Gray have spent a whole lot longer in the minors then, I, I you know not even great, but like Chris Sale, uh, Marcus Stroman made it a lot quicker than this. Um, you know you can just go year by year, look at these draft classes. Justin Verlander, if you're talking about again the greats, the college pitchers who are greats, usually it's not. Well, we're in year three in the minors and then it clicks. Tim Lincecum was in the minors for about an hour and a half, mm-hmm. and Tim Lincecum didn't need more than an hour and a half in the minors. Now. Does that mean that Mark Pell or John Gray end up being a solid middle of the rotation starter? Very possibly. But there aren't nearly as many stories of the top draft pick who spins a a long, steady climb through the minors and then reaches the big leagues and turns into an ace. It happens, but it's just less often. So uh, those are two fascinating guys from that standpoint. As we get ready to wrap up our our look at the fifty. Josh, I know you're a big Tim Anderson guy, 42 on this list. Mm-hmm. What stands out to you about the, the White Sox shortstop?
2: I think he's just an electric-type player. I, when you've just seen him, just a lot of things he can do. I've heard from guys who say he can play shortstop, so that's a plus. I mean, he's, he's capable of average. He's capable of power. Yeah, he. The, there is a big concern there with strikeout-to-walk ratio. But, you know, when I've seen him, he's always performed, and it's always, you look at this guy, you think, sky's the limit with him and so maybe I'm higher than most but I like him
1: yeah for me I, I think obviously the athleticism and, and the raw tools are there I think that gets a little overrated uh, with him it's, it's easy to go in and see the the athleticism and the, the flashiness that he brings to the table but the the approach is, is still, Still pretty crude. And I say that for a guy who is hitting really well in his defense, he's hitting better than I thought he would in, in his adjustment to the upper levels of the minor leagues. I, I thought he might hit a wall at this level. And he, he hasn't it yet and he hasn't yet. So uh, you know, I could be wrong about that for for certain, but but I, I still think that at some point the Unless he makes major major overhauls with his uh, with his approach, I mean we're seeing Nick Williams do it this year. It's, it's Nick not, Williams has made it's a, not a, impossible to do. You know he's done it. Starling Marte uh, was able to do it. There are guys who are, are able to do it, but right now this is a it's a pretty significant red flag for me.
0: As we said, you look at the the you get to forty on this list, and you are talking about guys who either Blake Snell's had a very good year, but scouts who talk you know we talk to scouts about him, they think of him as more of a back end starter. Um Alex Jackson who's on this you know that 40 to 50 range had a terrible Midwest League start as you said he's from San Diego he went to the cold weather he was it was re- one when you're batting under 160 and the surprising thing also is the power wasn't showing up it's been a good for him to kind of start over again he was sent back to extended spring now he's going a short season ball uh Josh Bell who's 45th on this list Josh Bell has shown power Josh Bell showing the ability for hit for average. Josh Bell has yet to show the ability for hip for average and power usually at the same time. And there's still some concerns about him at first base. I mean, that's always thought of as well. You know, you can put a guy at first base, he's not real comfortable. He doesn't look great defensively there yet. There's still some work to do. Tyler Kolak. Tyler Kolak basically made this list as you know a kind of we're not going to give up on him yet by any stretch of imagination. But Tyler Kolak in 2015 in pro ball. Is not the Tyler Colec who we saw going into the draft. Uh, you know, Josh, you saw him this uh, past week
2: Let me let me give this outing to you in a nutshell. There was a guy behind me who was not a scout who picked up his curveball, who said he's telegraphing it every time. And he was right, every time. This is a fan.
0: But more disconcerting to me than that was is he was ninety, 90, to, 92, 90 to ninety two, touched ninety three on four.
2: Ninety to ninety three touching four, maybe once. And I saw him earlier in the year and he's bigger numbers than that. But for a guy, it's weird to say a guy touching 94
0: is, is a problem. Right. But he was touching 100, 101 last year. He was
2: 102 in high school and now he looks all out of sorts. There's no command at all. Does have a lot of sink on the ball. But I mean, I think uh, our, our intern Brent, uh, kind of made a, made a good point. You're the number two overall pick. You throw 100 whatever miles an hour. You should be striking out more than five per nine.
0: That's that's a it's a concern Uh, it's now again it's first full season We want to see him be you know how he makes adjustments and all that but it is definitely something there's a reason again to be 46 on this list means he has fallen uh you know his his stock has fallen at least a little bit you don't want to get hasty but at the same time there are definitely concerns
2: yeah i want to go see him again
0: yeah i'm not done with him you know but uh but so while well, we do appreciate the uh, the download, as always, we're, we're you know, again, we hope you enjoy the top 50 subscribers. We hope you enjoy the top 10s that we'll have coming for you, and obviously we'll be coming back later in the week with the Futures Game podcast, and Ben and I are also doing a July 2 and uh, Cuba podcast. So for Josh Norris and Ben Badler, I'm JJ Cooper. Thanks again. So long, everybody.